Hi, and welcome to Sustainability Explored. My name is Anna, I am a sustainability consultant and the host of this show. Today with us we have Susan Ingalls, the Executive Director of the Sustainable Furnishings Council, an organization that promotes and secures a sustainable future through responsible design choices. Susan has led Sustainable Furnishings Council to work with industry leaders to establish criteria to gauge the sustainability of furniture products and practices, develop programs for educating all sectors of the industry. Drawn in on years of professional experience and passion for sustainability, Susan is a leader in today's ecological movement. She serves on the board of the American Sustainable Business Council and was awarded a 2017 Visionary Leadership Award by the North Carolina Business Council. I'm super happy Susan joins us today at Sustainability Explored, and we will be ready to welcome her in a second. Susan, welcome to Sustainability Explored. I'm excited to hear from you today, to hear what you have been doing in sustainability and what is your ongoing commitment. But let's start with your past and with your experience in sustainability. How did you find your own interest, your own mojo, you know, to work in this field? And what motivates you today? Thank you so much for having me here, Anna, and thank you so much for asking that particular question to start with. I've, as you probably know, Sustainable Furnishings Council started in 2006 at, with an organizing meeting at High Point Market of the major international furniture market in the showroom of Jerry Cookland, who was the founder of the organization. I showed up for that meeting because my work over the many, many years before has been with artisans around the world, getting their skills and their products to new markets. And many of the markets relate to the home industries, that is the home furnishings market in general. I knew that this would be an interesting conversation for me to be a part of. I have been in my work with artisans in the work of all my career, I've been interested in stewardship and in environmental stewardship, which is what we call sustainability. So, you know, as I've worked with artisans, I've thought about how handcraft traditions have evolved in harmony with ecosystems. And all that part of my career is about preserving that connection. Well, the world has gotten a lot more complex since these traditions evolved. And there is much work to be done in each of our industrial sectors. And so at this meeting uh, in 2006 to form Sustainable Furnishings Council, I really saw a lot of possibility in working in residential furnishings. Right. So it started in 2006, 14 years ago. What has been the, the biggest challenges for the organization? 
so far? Well, that the biggest challenge is the structure of the industry. Uh, at that meeting in 2006, I learned that the residential furnishings industry is about $80 billion at retail. And I thought, oh, that's not too big. We can we can solve this one. We can get we can make a real difference in this little industry. It's not as big as construction. It's not as big as tourism. It's, there are many many industries that are much much bigger than ours. So I thought this is doable. And what I have learned is how challenging it is because the industry is fragmented and is made up of small businesses. In many cases, there are, of course, very large businesses in the industry, but there are also small and medium sized ones. And there are extremely complex supply chains in our industry. Frequently, the material will come from one continent be processed on another, be manufactured into something on another for consumption on yet another. So it's a very, very long and complex supply chain. And that, that is the challenge. But it also relates to our success so far. We are a membership organization and our members are companies that are involved in the furnishings industry in various ways. So they might supply materials or manufacture any kind of product or be stores or be interior design firms or organizations or marketing firms. So we're really involving all parts of the industry and that helps us make a difference. Right. You know, it, it's so good that you mentioned supply chains. For me, it's such a complex topic. And uh, now here in Ukraine, we're looking more and more towards developing the national strategy and methodology of green public procurement, GPP. Good. Yes. Is there at all a way to, to make it work? What do you think, standing yes, on I your experience? Yeah, I think there's absolutely a way to make it work. Procurement policies are very, very important. And here in the U.S., we at the federal level, we do have procurement policies that support environmental protection. Also, on the state level and in municipalities, there are procurement policies. So when it is a large municipality, the city of San Francisco pops to mind. When it's a large municipality, it can provide a lot of guidance as well as making a large difference in that geographic area. And so, yes, procurement policies are very, very important. Since we work in residential furnishings, in our case, we relate to procurement policies by, you know, endorsing them. We're always happy to do that. But in the case of the federal government, for instance, residential furnishings would most often be purchased for embassies around the world or something like that. So it is not as large a set of purchases as for offices throughout the country and around the world. But policies make a tremendous difference. Mm -hmm. You say uh, offices. How yes. has the canvas of working from the office versus working from home has changed in 2020? 
in the well, US it, and yeah. you know with with the sustainable furnishings council it feels like you have visibility over many industries and many businesses yeah. it's super interesting to see uh, to 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 see what you see yes yes there has been a huge change and it's actually very good for the residential furnishings industry um though we at sustainable furnishings council do maintain an office we have hardly been in it this year <laughs> and so it is so we do go there we take turns going to the office one person at a time and we're a small team and it's a small office so it's not difficult for us to take turns but mostly we're working from our home offices and as you say most people who are still working are working from their home offices and i i say most people of course there are so many people people who are working on the front lines of the pandemic in hospitals in public service of all kinds and those people would love the luxury of sitting at a desk in their home offices but they are they are doing a lot of the work that makes it possible for others to stay safe working in home offices now this has been good for the residential furnishings industry because people have needed to buy a new desk or a new school desk for their children or various kinds of uh, furniture to repurpose their home and they have also realized that there are things in their home that they've been wanting to tend to and so they might replace a piece of furniture or add something or move things around and this has been very good for the industry and i think as long as people have jobs and are working from home it will continue to be the the industry does depend on people having homes to furnish and having jobs that make it possible for them to own those homes and that furniture and the it is possible that we have not yet seen the full effect of the recession that this global coronavirus pandemic is going to cause Mm-hmm. So you know that we're we're in pretty good times right now but we know we must be cautious. Right. In your opinion the future is after the offices or the home? I think we are going to see that many people enjoy working at home and that many companies find it is more efficient for a couple of reasons they don't have to have as much office space and their people are happier. So it's not going to work for everybody to work from home. We certainly know that some people really uh, are suffering from not being in the office. Um but I think that we are going to see that working from home becomes very very normal with internet connections as you and I are experiencing now we can work anywhere in the world from anywhere in the world and that's amazing i personally enjoy the benefits uh, the speedy internet g- gave us yes in order to be called sustainable what kind of requirements the furniture has to meet very good question um and it is a frequently asked question people say well what is sustainable furniture anyway yeah. <laughs> and there are many things that the product 
could be. There are many, many issues that fall under this wide umbrella of sustainability. And we in our organization and in our work worry about all of them and try to address them, especially the ones that have the that we can have the largest impact on the most immediately. So first I'll tell you about our member companies and then I'll tell you about specific products. Sustainable Furnishings Council member companies have each made their own public and verifiable commitment to sustainability, to transparency and to continuous improvement. And we as an organization help them realize their commitment. So we provide a lot of guidance and resources and education, and we give them a member seal to use that helps their customers find them. When their customers are looking for them, their customers are looking for specific products and services. With 400 member companies, we have 400 different specific corporate commitments to sustainability, and they vary in degrees of implementation. And as far as we are concerned as an organization, that's fine because the planet is in enough trouble that we really all need to start where we are as companies and as individuals and move forward from there. So we're helping the companies do that. Now, we're and we're also helping consumers make better choices. So we're helping consumers do that. That involves sharing a lot of information. So we have on our website a quick buying guide that is useful for consumers that helps them know if they're looking for a wooden dining room table or a or wooden chairs. What do they need to think about with the uh, where the wood has come from? How do they ensure that it is not contributing to deforestation, which of course nobody wants to contribute to, but um, we as individual consumers, as well as some companies need information to make sure we're not making that kind of mistake. On this note, I'd like to ask you, don't you think it's a little bit too much of responsibility for us as individuals to bear? You know, we cannot all be experts in medical issues, masks, not masks, COVID, uh, all sorts of analysis. You're going to buy a pair of jeans. You are overwhelmed and anxious about, oh my God, am I contributing to a terrible fast fashion problem. Here, I just wanted to buy a dining table. How do I know IKEA, for example? There was a, a study issued somewhere in the summer, I think 2020, that they their wood is not sourced from sustainable sources, even though someone certified it as Forest Stewardship Council and gave them that certificate. In reality, the wood was coming from Ukrainian and Romanian Carpathian forest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There we have west of the country, west of Ukraine, suffering from floods because there is no trees, the soil doesn't keep together. And we're like, yeah, how did I contribute or anyone who bought that table or that chair? Mm -hmm. So do you think it... I am all for personal responsibility, critical thinking, 
you know, going deeper, further in, in the research. And yet I feel like it's a little bit unfair that it is expected from each and every individual, regardless of their, I don't know, educational level, status, and so on. What is your opinion on that? I share your concern about that. And I think that it is very important that more and more governments enforce laws more and more carefully. All the countries in the world have environmental protection laws, but they are not all enforced well, as you have just described. And so that so I, I think that we as individuals and as organizations need to do what we can to lobby for greater enforcement of laws. Here in the US, we have a law that does, um, that stands to make sure that all the laws for environmental protection around the world, where the source uh, is of the product is, are being adhered to. So we in the US need to make sure that the Lacey Act is enforced. And that would, when it's done properly, ensure better governance of supply chains right the way along all around the world. Now, as I said earlier, we have very complex supply chains in this industry. And the example you give of a large company that has a commitment to Forest Stewardship Council certification and is on target to to achieve 100% Forest Stewardship Council certification in some not too distant future. They have an extremely complex supply chain to keep an eye on. And because they deal in such volumes, there are many vulnerabilities in that supply chain. So it's not surprising that even with a robust certification as their guiding principle, there are going to be mistakes. And that is why we as individuals need to continue to be vigilant. Globally, the whole economy is run on our consuming things. <laughs> so it, since, since that is the bottom line, we are as consumers responsible. But I think a very important way of, for us to be responsible, even more important than being an expert in any one material, it's important that we push our governments and the companies we do business with to please be transparent and show us how they are taking care of sustaining the planet for the future. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm working in the field of environmental and social risk assessments. Uh -huh. And this is a, you know, we can say a sweet spot to be because the companies that are developing big infrastructure projects, they ask for loans for from international financial institutions where environmental and social policies are a must. So it's very yeah. simple. You want to take the money from us. Uh, it's not a gift. It's not a, you know, it's not a, an offering. It's a, a loan. So this money yeah. will have to return to the bank. But if yeah. you want us as a bank to help you, you have to follow our procedures. You have to sign that you read and yeah. understood our own policy. It's a, yeah. you know, it's a dead end. It's a requirement. If yeah. you are not following this 
you will have a lot of problems. Yes. Do you think with furniture and with enhancing sustainability, yeah, making it unavoidable yes. to implement sustainable practices within business industries, is it even possible if we are not talking about loans and banks? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But who and how do you think can regulate this uh, this area mm-hmm. to make it a that strict requirement? A, yeah, that is such a good question. And I do think that money talks. And so the banks have a lot of power and um, and policies for lending have a lot of power. Now, in the residential furnishings industry, there are many smaller businesses and smaller and medium-sized businesses. They do work with lending institutions, obviously, but they're actually businesses that are self-financed. And so that is not tied to, to loans from banks that have these policies. And so that is, I think that societal pressure, this is just what pops to mind in this conversation now, I think societal pressure is a very important part of what will guide companies. We know that consumers all of us as consumers are interested in taking care of the planet. But as you said, we don't always know how the heck to do that. And so when the companies we're doing business with can tell us specific ways in which they are taking care of the planet, it actually makes us want to do business with that company. And I think that that is something that businesses can use to grow, large, medium, and small businesses, that telling their story, sharing information, that I think that's how they're going to win the business they need to grow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Susan, I know that in April 2020, you launched a campaign, hashtag yes. just one. Can you explore yeah. uh, this topic a bit more? Yes, I am happy to. Sustainability is such a complex topic that we decided we needed to help companies take just one step at a time and help consumers know that taking just one choice, making just one choice at a time would make a difference um, for them. It's going to make them feel better and it's actually going to have impact. So sustainability, this broad umbrella term, lots of issues that fall under it. We decided let's look at how we can break this down a little bit, not by dumbing it down, but by breaking it into bite-sized chunks. So the Just One campaign um, looks at a wheel of sustainability in six basic segments carbon, reducing carbon emissions, health and wellness. So carbon emissions are pollution of our outdoor air. There's lots of pollution in many of our indoor environments. And there are lots of other things uh, that contribute to health and wellness. So um, 
carbon reduction, health and wellness, social equity. People have to be taken care of. Sustainability is about not only taking care of the ecosystems on the planet, but also taking care of the communities that depend on those ecosystems and the economies that run those communities. So social equity is important. Waste reduction is important, which involves learning how much waste you've got. Does it have to be waste or could it be feedstock for something? Um, water stewardship. Water is such a, as many of us are learning in many parts of the world, is more and more of a precious resource. And circularity. So those are the six segments. And as you can hear, they do relate to each other. It is not possible to use waste if for feedstock if it has too much harmful chemicals added to it, etc. So the Just One campaign, here I've given you a long sentence, a long paragraph of many sentences. And the Just One campaign is to make that manageable. So we celebrate every little step that a company takes and we do hold their feet to the fire to take another step after that one step, but then we're going to celebrate that step. And it does not matter to us which of the six segments they're focusing on now, because all of these need our attention. Um, and, and similarly for consumers, our quick buying guide that helps consumers know some questions to ask and some answers to look for covers all those six segments. So if a consumer has a particular interest in social equity or in water stewardship, they, these questions will help them know what to think about when they're furnishing their home. Mm -hmm. Have you, it, it all sounds super amazing. Have you already had some champions among companies, some super successful stories to share? Yes, we have. And in fact, I mentioned earlier the high point market. It happens twice a year. It's very different this year, of course. What is it, high point market? It is in North Carolina and it is a wholesale market of furniture. So we used that occasion both in April to launch this campaign and in October to celebrate particular companies and particular products. We conferred what we call the Green Ribbon Awards on certain companies for their products. One of the companies that pops to mind is Libico. It is a linens company. They make sheets, they make fabric that can be used for upholstery or draperies, um, and they are a carbon neutral company. So not only is their product, linen fabric, eco-friendly inherently, but also as a company, they've made a commitment to offset what carbon they do produce. And of course, any company manufacturing anything and selling it globally is going to be burning fossil fuels these days, but they offset that. Another company I'll mention is Moore and Giles, which is a leather company. And a lot of people will um, object to leather being mentioned in the same breath as sustainability. And it is true that in general, leather has a large environmental footprint. 
But Morin Giles is laudable because they make very careful choices in the tanneries they work with. Everything is closed loop. The water leaving the tannery is cleaner than the water that has come in. And they have a declare label for their leathers. So that, and that's like an ingredients label. And it's the kind of transparency that we so appreciate. They And leather, of course, lasts a very long time. As you well know, the environmental impact of any product needs to be measured over the lifetime of that product. Well, leather has a very, very long lifetime. And if it is done um, very responsibly like this, that is actually a much lower um, environmental footprint, smaller environmental footprint than some of the alternatives. So those are in a couple of the companies that come to mind. Another one that I'll mention is Cisco Home because they, and they are an upholstered furniture manufacturer. They're based in California, but they work throughout the North America and they actually have manufacturing and distribution out of North Carolina as well. So both sides of the United States for serving both sides of our country that re that reduces their transportation footprint, obviously. They also they have a commitment to responsible materials using things like the linen and the leather I just mentioned and all their frames, the wood inside a piece of furniture is a Forest Stewardship Council certified wood. So they've got a very big commitment to materials. They also have a very big commitment to communities and they have an entire division of their business called Refoundry in which they make new furniture out of old broken furniture and the people who do the manufacturing are returning citizens. They are people who might have been in jail, might have been in recovery programs. And in the United States, these people are very difficult to employ. It's hard to find jobs if you're if you're a person I, like I that. I guess it's the case everywhere everywhere. I'm sure it is. So that Cisco Home has designed in a way to rejuvenate old broken furniture and give new life to people is just the most laudable thing. It, it really, really thrills me. So those are a few examples, but I have to tell you, among our 400 member companies, there are many, many, many doing very, very interesting things. And even though our industry is a small one, the fact that they are having a large impact with their businesses, in their communities, in, in their whole global reach, it just gives me a lot of hope. Right. And speaking of the socially oriented businesses, I know yes. that you are the owner of From the Mountain, a company that imports hand-spun cashmere yarn from Afghanistan, providing safe income for over 100 women over there. How did yeah. that start? How did, you, how did you start this story with such a country so far away? How did yeah. it happen? Well, as I said, my career before we invented Sustainable Furnishings Council was all about working with artisans around the world. And 
including in difficult places. So Afghanistan is not the first difficult place where I've tried to bring some business opportunity. But this particular business, this particular aspect of my business started out of a small consulting project I was asked to do. Our U.S. Agency for International Development had been working a project in Afghanistan to bolster the Kashmir supply chain. It is just what a country like that needs because the goats are there. The goats can survive lots of hardship, rough terrain, rough circumstances. And the project um, started by simply teaching local people how to get more value out of their existing herds of goats. And they brought me in right at the very end because they thought, you know, we we want to expand markets for these people. Let's take some Afghan businessmen to a trade show in New York City, and we'll need somebody who has some expertise. So they invited me to spend a week with them at this trade show in New York City. I was very happy to do it. I was very happy to meet the people. And at the end of the trade show, as, as your many of your listeners will understand, when you go to a market, it's really just the beginning of doing the business. There's all this follow-up <laughs> and, and the project was over. And so I decided to, to continue working with the um, exporter who was going to be exporting this yarn to the fashion companies we had met at the trade show. And so I sort of held their hand through that process. And it became clear that it really, to be successful, to really make the difference in the lives of those women, many of whom were left as heads of household, to make a difference for them, they needed to have a market that is steady and not too large, because it is difficult to all of a sudden provide 200 kilos of yarn for a fashion brand that needs it to be perfect. In fact, when everything is made by hand, it is much easier to sell uh, instead of 200 kilos, it must be all the same. It's much easier to sell 20 kilos at a time. And so I decided that we better... um, augment this very important effort with selling yarn to yarn shops that sell to individual knitters. And now what we do is sell directly to individual knitters. There are huge challenges in the supply chain and it is difficult to get more yarn. We have not been able to get more yarn recently, but we do have some inventory. (laughs) So it is possible to buy from us now and we might not have every color in every size, but we do have beautiful soft yarn that we continue to sell. On the subject of the colors, we, we focus on the colors of the goats. So dark brown, light brown, gray, and white. And it's just the natural undyed color and they're beautiful. And how old is the business? Well, From the Mountain started as a business, gosh, many years ago. I would say, where are we? It started in about 1993. 
And that's when From the Mountains started. And From the Mountains started when I was invited to go to Nepal. I was doing a sweater business at the time. I was doing production through um, an economic development program in West Virginia, an impoverished area of our country. And so that was providing work for women there, work they could do in their homes, which is as important and in West Virginia as it is in Afghanistan, we all, all of us who are mothers need to continue homemaking no matter what we're doing to, to earn some money. Through that work in West Virginia, I was invited to go to Nepal and work with weavers of a certain fiber called nettle cloth that comes from the inner bark of the giant stinging nettle plant, which grows only in the middle altitudes of the Himalaya. So, and this was back in 93, but I I flew to a remote airport and I walked for three days with others, with colleagues to get to these knitters and weavers. And I realized, you know, even though my job is to help them make connections to markets in the U.S., nobody's going to come out here and buy this stuff. <laughs> I'm going to have to import it. <laughs> and so that started That started from the mountain. I continued working with the knitters in West Virginia, but instead of making sweaters, we started making pillows and sofa throws so that they were, were making things for the home too. So that's also how I started working in the residential furnishings industry was with home textiles. So that started a very long time ago. But working specifically in in Afghanistan, it's been eight or nine years now. Wow, that's incredible. Susan, I could talk to you for hours and hours. I I need to wrap up. And my final question is always, what would be one piece of advice you would like to share with the listeners? One thing. I invite the listeners to be brave be brave and keep hope out of your courage. You know, courage is about the heart. That's the the cur. That's where the word comes from. Be courageous, be of good faith, take heart. Know that there are solutions, many of which you discuss in all this series of podcasts, Anna. There are solutions for the huge range of problems that threaten sustainability in our world and for our species. There are solutions. Keep the faith that that your being brave and making good choices will inspire more companies to do so and will inspire our governments around the world to take care of each of our countries and the planet we all share. So courage, That is my advice. Courage. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Susan, for being with us today, for sharing your wisdom and knowledge and inspiring, I'm sure, hundreds and thousands of listeners around the world at Sustainability Explored. Thank you so much. Ciao, ciao. Thank you, Anna. Ciao. Wow. That was Susan Ingalls on Sustainability Explored. As always, I'd like to appreciate you taking the time to join us today to listen to this episode. And I really hope you you loved it, you got inspired to 
try something new, to research something, uh, to become a better citizen, become a better, more concerned, more educated human on this planet. As always, if you have any questions for me or Susan, do not hesitate to reach to both of us, either of us on LinkedIn. We are both easily approachable and findable there. If you like the podcast, you know what to do. Subscribe, share on your favorite social media accounts, leave a review on the platform you're listening on. Especially, I will appreciate it if it's Podchaser, uh, where I will be able to leave you a reply and somehow appreciate your commitment and time to write that uh, review and a comment, or iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Hi, reading your review will uh, always make me very happy. Review, as I said, if you review our podcast on Podchaser page, I will reply to you in person. I always enjoy doing that. Something for you to continue exploring the topic of sustainability in furniture and design. A couple of suggested uh, episodes for you is number one. Uh, we did it in summer 2020, design with sustainability in mind, interview with Aya Ulan. And number two, from recycled furniture to a better planetary footprint, um, a case, the case of uh, Van de Sant with Robert Milder. Uh, this one was on furniture made from recycled plastics. Finally, reach out to me on LinkedIn, challenge me with your questions, suggest guests or topic you'd like me to cover in the future. This was Sustainability Explored, episode number 74, season 7, and me, your host, Anna Chashina. By the way, I forgot to mention, uh, join the hashtag Just One campaign that Susan was talking about. Finally, thank you for listening, for being with us today, and until next time, next Thursday, as always. Take care, stay sustainable. Bye-bye.